good news, everyone. It's season one, episode seven of Digital Dissection, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look into our favorite properties. This week, we're waking up from a thousand year deep freezing and realizing that the future can be really fucking depressing. Seriously. <laughs> and before we break open a can of slurm and enjoy a nice Sunday afternoon of Blurns Ball, we'd like to mention a few housekeeping items. We're Joe and Mark, two dudes who love talking movies, video games, and pop culture in a royalty-free deep dive format. We're mostly a humble operation that needs your help by liking, commenting, subscribing, and leaving us a review wherever you may have found us. Speaking of finding us, here's a few ways. We're currently on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook by searching for at Digital Dissect One or the Digital Dissection Podcast. Please also leave a review no matter where you found us. We'd love to hear from you. And you'll notice that we say this pretty much every week. Now, what this does for us is help us grow and to keep making sure you've got an escape from your crushing obligations each week. We're also joining more platforms, so stay tuned. So without further ado, let's hop into the Planet Express and deliver something that will most likely not be on time. Sorry to throw that curveball at you, Joe. Oh, what? I didn't know how you were going to feel about me trying my best Professor Farnsworth. <laughs> no, that was good. <laughs> I, I, we'll see how it sounds in post. And if so, we'll just erase it. No one will ever know it. Ever they'll, they'll have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, t- today, you know, we're going to be going back to 1999 where... Ooh where it all began with a little show called Futurama. Yeah, and uh, I think at one point in time, a fellow by the name of Prince predicted this when he said, let's party like it's 1999. I am 100% confident he was referring to Futurama when he made that song. You know, something I think I'll be eternally jealous of is the fact that Charlie Murphy got to play pickup basketball with him and his crew. And then he got pancakes after it. <laughs> he got pancakes. <laughs> Oh, man. But, you know, 1999 is a crazy long time ago because mm-hmm. just like how you and I always say when we're like, man, 20 years ago was the 80s, right? And it's like, oh, no. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was a lot yep. longer it's ago. Still 2006, everyone. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, a, I've still got a hairline. We're doing, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing fine over here. Yeah. Doing great. <laughs> oh, my God. My body doesn't ache throughout most of the day. Everything's great. Seriously, every movement has a consequence now. Oh, it does. So, I mean, good lord! It's like every so the, the old uh, every action has equals equal and opposite reaction. Except uh, when you move, things just crack and ache, and that's the opposite reaction. <laughs> or to quote <laughs> Professor Farnsworth, uh, "You'll have a bowel movement so big you won't have any bones left." <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, good times. Good yeah. times. Yeah, we're here to talk about Futurama, which, mm-hmm. you know, I, I still can't believe, you know, Fox found another way to completely mismanage, you know, a, another great property. Um, I'm not sure if you remember back in the original run, but, you know, they were on Fox from 99 to 2003. And man, it was a totally fucked up uh, episode distribution. Do you, are you familiar with what happened? Um, I don't remember episode distribution because I know it typically aired after the Simpsons. Um, it 
the season, like the series when it got canceled, um, ended on just an absolute gut punch of an episode um, that didn't make sense that it'd be the end of a series. So clearly um, they had no time to really pen a good final episode. Um, but did things like air out of order for this one? Oh, good God. Yes. Did they? And the reason for it is, well, there's a couple, right? So for folks that aren't familiar with the, the douchebaggery that is Fox, um, Fox finds ways to, <laughs> to absolutely confuse the shit out of viewers. And they did it with a couple different series here. So obviously Futurama is one of them. Um, but like Firefly, for example, one of my oh, yes. you know favorite properties they've that that from Joss Whedon. Mm-hmm. They the Fox executives when Firefly came out thought that the pilot episode, which gives you a ton of background info on your main characters and all the things they're going to be doing, mm-hmm. they're like, you know what? We don't want that. Let's <laughs> we, <laughs> Let's just throw them into the middle of a story with zero context. Yeah, we want hot action and we want it fast. Okay. <laughs> so what they ended up doing was with Firefly, they played the second episode first, which was called The Train Job, and mm-hmm. then went back to the pilot the week after. So, you know, you're introduced to stuff about these characters you had no idea about. And that's just standard Fox, right? So, yeah. And, yeah. And they did, yeah. Yeah, they're they're not above canceling a good show, um, and they're also not above playing it out of order. You know, actually, I think they did that even with uh, with daytime television with the Extreme Ghostbusters because they definitely aired um, the finale out of order. Uh, it was supposed to be a two part finale with it out yeah, of order back... from what they ended up actually airing. So, yeah, Back in the yeah. Saddle was a two part finale, mm-hmm. and and they managed to screw up the context all the way there. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, Futurama's issue was that it took nine months to, to produce one episode. Oof. So you've got a combination mm-hmm. of traditional, you know, cell-based cartoon mm-hmm. uh, production, but then you've also got the CGI side of it too. Yeah. Um, the intro to the show itself, I, I'm pretty sure for like every like one frame of action that you got on it, it took them like three or four weeks to animate. Oof. So wow, dude. It, yeah, I can see why how yeah. one season they just switched to like puppets <laughs> for that. <laughs> like yeah we could do this we can bang this one out in like a day <laughs> yeah. well in this case i'm still going to blame fox for a majority of this because um because of that nine like nine month production cycle a lot of strange things happened and one mm-hmm. of them was obviously being played out of order because we didn't know when the actual episode was going to show up um but then you've got fox who can't decide you know what they want to do with the the series and if they're mm-hmm. even going to like certain things about it and uh, i think what we're a good place to start here is to describe how futurama is absolutely not the simpsons oh completely different story you have the simpsons which was basically started out as kind of like a a adult themed like it was basically like i think the simpsons was like i want to say definitely like the first cartoon that was intended for adults about um uh, what uh, middle class life in the suburbs um, and then Futurama is like no we're not doing that at all <laughs> we're not doing um, the uh, the laughs and, and things to be had when your kids uh, act up or when you're like when one kid acts up the other one's crying because she didn't get an A on her test she got a B plus and she's freaking out about it uh, and your dad works kind of a dead end job where he is in no way qualified for by the way, like Homer Simpson should not be operating anything at a nuclear power plant. 
-hmm. just no. (laughs) (laughs) So they, the creators then shifted entirely, which I think is a great move. Um, Instead of someone basically just assuming you're getting, okay, well, these are the guys that did the Simpsons. We're just getting the Simpsons with a different skin. And what we got was something just completely different. Yes, we got something completely different. And what's unfortunate, though, is we got something completely similar to how the Simpsons got started. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Matt Groening, who, um, you know, actually began the Simpsons and everything, you know, he's the original creator. Um, when they first started making the Simpsons, Fox wanted to tell him how to make his show. You oh, know, great move. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nothing, telling... nothing like telling the, uh, the creative team exactly what they need to do. Well, I mean, they, they, that's what Fox is really good at. They're great at just completely screwing up storytellers trying to tell their stories. And uh, so Matt Groening had that happen with him the first time with The Simpsons. And then he had the exact same thing happen again when he started to pitch the idea for Futurama. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they, they didn't like certain aspects of how, you know, like Bender, for example, Bender Bending Rodriguez. <laughs> I always have to say his full, his oh, full his name. His full name is time. completely <laughs> necessary upon introduction. <laughs> yeah. yeah they, the, the executives hated how much of an asshole he was. And, and they thought that it was too much for people and that mm-hmm. his, you know, his human hating and his, you know, kill all humans ideas they thought that was too edgy for, for people to watch. And <laughs> which those tend to be like Bender's like most endearing traits too, what people love him for. Yeah. Yeah. It's the mm-hmm. fact that he, he says he hates humans, but then he, you know, secretly loves them and it's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whenever he says kill all humans, he quietly whispers, except one. <laughs> yeah, except- and he never got the chance to tell them that. Well, I think I think he insinuated it pretty heavily, but oh yeah, you know. mm-hmm. but it, it's 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 unfortunate that Fox just doesn't seem to ever learn their lesson with this shit. I just don't understand why. I mean, it's there's plenty of of uh, examples of this stuff going on, but um, it, to to the credit of the writers of the show, they they kind of planted their foot. They said, nope, we're gonna keep making it the way that we want to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like for example, another one here, they actually didn't like the the character of of john zoidberg well i mean zoidberg uh in his defense is hated by everyone in the show yeah but his his ink defense is hilarious oh, though <laughs> you call that an ink, ink defense? defense and then he just <laughs> i don't i don't know I, I i love it whenever he you know behaves in a completely stupid way but um it, you know one one cool segue here though is to get into the voice actors behind this show mm-hmm. because I think that's really what the backbone of Futurama is. I mean, I know obviously it's an animated cartoon, but there is some serious heavy hitting voice talent that's on display here. Oh yeah. And, um, now Billy West obviously is the, the anchor of the show. You know, he voices, you know, Philip J. Fry. Um, but this, this guy obviously was pretty well known even before Futurama, if you remember. Um, he actually voiced Doug Funny on the <laughs> on the Doug cartoon back in the the Nickelodeon days. Mm-hmm. Um, he also voiced Ren and Stimpy. I mean, it, I, I mean, I I knew the guy long before uh, I ever watched Futurama. I mean, even as a kid, I, I immediately recognized who he was. Um, so Billy West is just a badass, and he, I mean, he voices not just Fry, but 
know, the mm-hmm. professor at Zoidberg as well. I, and a ton of other characters. Like he, he, he pretty much plays half the cast. He can have a conversation with himself. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, that's, that's kind of his, like his, uh, his claim to fame. I mean, this guy was both Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd in Space Jam. Yes, he was. Mm-hmm. And the unforgettable role of Ralph the Roach in Joe's apartment. He was <laughs> literally, he was everywhere. You could, you could basically just put every cartoon from the 80s and 90s and throw a rock and it would likely hit five things that he had done. He, he's the goddamn red M&M. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you seriously can't get away from Billy West. No. Um, you know, uh, I, I see Katie Seagal was amazing as, as Leela, you know, from Married with Children and Sons of Anarchy. You know, mm-hmm. she she's uh, I, I've never hated anything she's been in. No, no. She definitely like again, like I was like, you don't see her. I don't think like you've seen her a ton. And I think that's probably like smart on her part. Um, I'm guessing she picks characters will actually be memorable instead of always just something for like the next paycheck. Um but then again, I could be wrong. <laughs> well, for someone who mm-hmm. kind of calls their shot with with picking and choosing roles, I mean, if you mm-hmm. if you do look at her IMDb or her Wikipedia, you know, she's still got a pretty decent uh, filmography or whatever you want to call it, body of work. But mm-hmm. for the for the roles that she does pick out, though, I mean, she she's on some of these roles for seven, you know, ten years at a time, and that's just pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, because I mean, TV actors alone, <laughs> uh, you're lucky if you, you know, if you're on um, a show for a year, let alone mm-hmm. seven, right? So yeah. Um, but a couple other names to fold in here. Uh, John DiMaggio is one mm-hmm. of my favorite mm-hmm. voice actors of all time. Um, the the guy is absolutely amazing, and for me, it's kind of a selfish reason because I love uh, Gears of War. So <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. he, he played Marcus Phoenix. I've, mm-hmm. I've got the one of one Gears of War Lancer replica sitting behind me here that I love to just randomly, you know, run out with my, <laughs> towards my cats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and true story about, about John DiMaggio. Um, he actually auditioned for professor Farnsworth using the voice of Bender. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, like and now it seems like it wouldn't fit at all, but they're both pretty um pessimistic characters. So maybe it worked really well and they just thought Bender would be better though. Well, not only did it not work well at all, but it did not work well at all, which is why <laughs> <laughs> which is which is why they had him audition for Bender uh using that voice. And so once once he used that that uh, you know raspy rusty voice i mean it was mm-hmm. just you know boom it's in the books um and and yeah a couple others here really quick uh phil lamar you know i'm pretty sure he's the mad tv alum isn't he yeah he's definitely mad tv alum um phil lamar does um a lot of comedy a lot of good voice work um i'm pretty sure he is um John Stewart and basically every Justice League thing. Yes, mm-hmm. he is. Yep, He's absolutely the Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, he. I mean, I love him as Hermes Conrad in this this show. I mean, the <laughs> the the, the uh, quintessential admin you've ever seen or worked oh, with. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Just he, loves bureaucracy and like pencil pushing and desk work. <laughs> and he he eats a calculator for the processing power. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and all 
we'll, we'll get to the episode where that's in, by the way, because it is mm-hmm. it is one of the things that we're going to talk about content wise. But I, I always remembered that scene because he's at his office and the computer is like scanning him and it says, you know, there's an irregularity in your intestine and, and you see this, <laughs> this block in there. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I ate the calculator for for the processing power <laughs> because that works, right? Oh yeah, I, that's exactly how it works. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, but it's a hilarious moment in other ways. Very emotional episode, actually. Um, and then a couple other quick ones here. So Lauren Tom, uh, who plays Amy Wong, now mm-hmm. that do you know why Lauren Tom is important? Uh not offhand and casual conversation i can't say i do and that's okay she's actually a supernatural alum Ooh! so she plays kevin tran's mom tiger mom herself oh and, no way and so the next time you watch supernatural in the kevin tran you know series when he comes into it i think what's it, seven season eight or when they start to read the tablets or whatever yeah somewhere yeah mm, yeah so, is it some, sooner than that seven maybe maybe six yeah i know it's know. It's post five, which was like supposed to be the end of the series. And then the fans were like, no, 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 keep it going. So the CW is like, yeah, sure. We'll keep it going. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's one of the first things I noticed when, um, when I was just watching the credits one day, I go, why is Lauren Thompson so familiar? And, and then I (laughs) dug it up and I'm like, holy shit, she was on Supernatural. So um, cool little tie in there. And then finally, we'll, we'll wrap up with this is Maurice LaMarche. Do you know that name? Oh, yes, of course. He, um, he was Egon Spengler. Dr. Um, Egon Spengler. The real Ghostbusters. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and another prolific voice actor here who joins this cast. So pretty much whenever you hear like a Vincent Price impression mm-hmm. on the show, they do it a lot. That's always Maurice LaMarche. Um, <laughs> and uh, he also voices Zet Bredigan's, uh, you know, second in command, Kip. Oh, Kip, yes. Yeah. Um, and I think he does Orson Welles in one episode, too. He does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you guys want to see a hilarious Orson Welles impression, Maurice LaMarche has been documented doing this for well over 25 years. So <laughs> give it a shot. It's there. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but yeah, so obviously prolific voice cast here, which really is just phenomenal throughout the entire series. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of taking us along here though, one of the unique things about, uh, Futurama in comparison to the Simpsons and some folks may disagree with me on this, but who cares? It's my show. It's Joe's yeah. show. We don't, we don't mm-hmm. get we to talk about what we want. It's yeah. our show. It's how it works. <laughs> yeah. We, t- we talk about what we want here. Yep. But, if I had to talk about yeah. the Tempur-Pedic Adapt Symphony Pillow, it's only, Ooh. $68.38 on Amazon Prime, who is not a sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> I can say that because it's our podcast and it's currently an ad that's up on, uh, on my web browser. <laughs> and it just knows what, what, what conversations you're having, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, hey, couldn't help but notice that you uh, can say what you want in your own podcast. How about this Tempur-Pedic Adapt Symphony pillow? Yeah, the CIA liked your Facebook post. <laughs> <laughs> But comparing The Simpsons and Futurama, we d- we're not going to do it a whole lot here. Um, but Futurama was a noticeably much more intelligent program compared to The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. You know, not saying that you need to be a low-functioning, you know, brainwave person to enjoy The Simpsons. But you know, Futurama's main character, uh, f- you know, Philip J. Fry, is 
he's not always the most intelligent person. I would say frequently not the most intelligent person. Yes. <laughs> he walks into a room and he's always the dumbest person in that room. So oh, yes. Mm -hmm. But writing, you know, stupid comedy takes a good amount of intelligence mm -hmm. um, for the same reasons why I think Dumb and Dumber was so successful back in the, the mid nineties. You know, those jokes take some layers. Yeah. It it, it's, yeah. Uh, I completely agree. It's the same with Zoolander. Um which is just, I think, I remember like watching that the first time thing. This is, this is kind of stupid. And they watch it the second time. Like this is actually gold. <laughs> when they wrote this, they knew exactly what the hell they were doing <laughs> and it works so well. Um, and that's, that's kind of uh, how Fry works in this, uh, in this, um, in this series. He is pretty much always um, the C student of the room um, and C student is a teacher being really nice. That's going to say. That teacher offers a lot of extra credit just to clean up the room. <laughs> Lots of effort grades. Um. <laughs> well, speaking of intelligence on this show, mm -hmm. um, so that's a really good time to talk about David X. Cohen and Ken Wheeler, who are two very big parts of the writing talent for this show. Mm -hmm. um, so David X. Cohen was one of the folks that uh, Matt Groening actually brought over from The Simpsons. So they had obviously collaborated quite a bit before. We say collaborate a lot on this show. Yeah, it's a fun um, word, collaborate. Yeah, there's a couple syllables mm -hmm. in there, you know. But yeah, um, <laughs> I use it on my work day, but we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> we will never get that person. We won't get that far. No, that's that's not an episode. <laughs> well, the staff of this show, there's three PhDs on the writing staff alone, um, seven master's degrees. Mm -hmm. And a combined 50 years of Harvard education. Wow. <laughs> so, dude, this, this writing staff was not just really good at being funny. They were really good at being really fucking smart. <laughs> um, and that's, that's a reason why I wanted to mention uh, Ken Wheeler specifically, though. Because um, if you remember the episode where they have the uh, mind transference machine mm -hmm. and... And so basically the mind can transfer from one person to another, but it can never transfer back between the two original people that swap minds. So you can tell that there's some mathematics involved there to solve the issue. Oh yeah. It's, you're creating a puzzle right away because you know, mind swapping is going to happen frequently in this episode and they're going to have to find their way back. Yeah. Well, the, the writing staff literally spent hours trying to figure out how do we actually make the math work for this? <laughs> because they could, they, they seriously were sitting there going like, Oh my God, it's like, I'm trying to, you know, write, write for college again. So Ken Wheeler, uh, who has a PhD in mathematics basically goes home that night, comes back the next day with like a stack of papers and he goes, everybody, mm -hmm. I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Which like, I mean, is also a great thing about the series is it doesn't do a whole lot of problem solving off, off screen. There's no just, well, we messed up. We've reached the, the highlight of the episode or we've, we've taught what we wanted to do or said what we wanted to said. And then the next scene, oh, we fixed it. We're back to normal now. Uh, they actually tend to show the crew solving their problems. Yeah, it's very true. There, there's not a whole lot of stories that are uh, plot points that necessarily carry over from mm -hmm. episode to episode. You have a... Yeah, I would actually say this is the strength of the series is that you do have a lot of these singular stories that get to kind of live and play out. And so, 
you know, you can pop in at any point in the series and not feel like you've really missed a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, that does a really good job. Um, But, but then at the same time, you do have some of these, you know, um, I would say later in the series, you have some of these foreshadowing elements that when you just look at them individually, it doesn't really matter anything to you. But if, but the longer you watch, the more that payoff is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, it may sound hypocritical to say that there's a lot of these singular episodes that don't go anywhere, but depending on where you came in and depending on what you've seen, mm-hmm. which, you know, there's a lot of folks that haven't watched the entire series, you know, that might be the frame of Futurama that you live within. And, yeah. and, and really, I mean, that's not unheard of for science fiction. I mean, you look at most of Star Trek is very episodic. Um, you go episode to episode and there's no like there's no link between them other than you have a few a few things data gets a little more human um picard loosens up a little bit um riker still banging everything (laughs) um but for the most part like if you miss episode 12 you can watch episode 13 with no problem it's very true because that's what happened to me growing up i mean Mm -hmm. we couldn't we couldn't always be in front of the tv because mostly because we're children and we didn't understand the concept of you know, scheduled programming um, mm-hmm. during the week. So, um, but yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it's, it is, it's a way that you can still enjoy Futurama no matter what, you know, what, no matter what stop you, yeah. you get on that. So mm-hmm. I think it did that really well. Um, something else that Futurama did really well too, is just the, the amount of characters that, I mean, there's like over 200 to 50 to 300 unique characters that were on this mm-hmm. TV show. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and all of them are recognizable, mm-hmm. you know, um, all of them, you know, seemingly show up, weave in and out of the series at various different times. Like, yeah. the, uh, like the space trucker who just shows up randomly <laughs> in different episodes. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, or uh, the guy who welcomes Fry to the future will show up in a few episodes to basically make a variation of what he said to Fry when he first like stumbled out of the, uh, the cryo chamber. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dude, I think one of my favorites is actually a uh, hedonism bot because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just an overweight, mm-hmm. like, you know, like throwback to the Romans and the Greeks, like just sitting on these marble slabs eating grapes. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what hedonism bot is. And what's even better is that when he is sitting on that, um, his arms aren't connected to his body. They're connected to like the furniture. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's connected to like the, the psychiatrist chair that he's sitting yep. on or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that was one of the, the most endearing elements of this show was mm-hmm. just the creativity of this team and all of the people that they, you know, that they created. And at no point does it really ever feel like these characters are overused mm-hmm. or, you know, you see them too much. And um, I, I just think that's impressive given how hard animation is and probably makes sense for why it took nine months at a time, Mm -hmm. you know, to do each episode, (laughs) but (laughs) yeah. Um, But yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think it it did a really good job with, with combining a lot of these, you know, relatively tough elements to get right. And for a show that got canceled um, twice, twice. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It remained, you know, pretty entertaining. And, and we could probably get into that um, on like a side stitch, which just went live mm-hmm. this past week for those of you that haven't listened to him yet. Yeah. A uh, nice little 30 minute shorts in case uh, you were done with the, uh, the, 
little over an hour that we usually do. And like, you know what? I need more. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you need like a, like a little Werther's original after dinner, you know, to get you through to the, to the nightcap, that's Mm -hmm. what, that's what side stitches really are. It's that little extra. Mm -hmm. Well, we digress. Um, The whole point of this episode today was to really dig into the episodes of Futurama that tug at the heartstrings that are just a total gut punch. And as I age, I realize I just can't watch these in succession because, (laughs) oh man. Oh yeah. It, it, it tears you down pretty quick when you watch them like episode after episode and what they usually do with the formula for this is you get the gut punch right at the end of the episode. So you don't even get to like have anything that like helps you recover from that. You're just stuck for the next like hour feeling like absolute, I don't want to say crap because that would make people not watch the show, but you are stuck with that emotion that they wanted you to feel afterwards. And yeah, yeah, for better or worse, like I would, that's what it did so frequently uh, throughout the series. Yeah, that delivery style would get used. I mean, and and in some of the examples that I just chose to to dig into today, I mean, pretty much every one of them does the same thing. You mm-hmm. you do get a pretty decent story for that episode. Um, there's there's enough to kind of keep you going, and then all of a sudden you've got this complete like you get hit across the face with a manhole cover in the last, <laughs> you know, 20, mm-hmm. 20, 30 seconds. And you just never knew it was coming. Um, so I, I think it's probably a good time to start to, you know, pull the cover back on this and start talking about some of these episodes. Um, Joe, I guess, do you want to start off with your, your most gut wrenching Futurama moment? The most gut wrenching one I think is, is probably um, notorious for being the most gut wrenching episode uh, because it's, it's the one that frequently gets memed um, quite a bit, and it's Jurassic Bark. Um, oh, yeah, if you if you haven't seen this episode, um, it starts off whimsical and fun, like most episodes of Futurama, and they go to a museum of the 20th century. Uh, so this is all at the late 20th century. So it's basically when Fry was before Fry was frozen, um, and it's kind of fun is as you go through the museum, you find out like they got everything wrong. <laughs> you, it, it takes them directly back to actually not just any pizzeria, uh, but Fry's pizzeria that he worked at. Um, so like, I think they've got two robots that are supposed to look like um, uh, a pizza chef and a delivery boy. And the delivery boy does look like an overweight version of Fry and the pizza wooden paddle that's used to like pull the pizza out of the oven is mostly being used for discipline. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And of course, like Fry is in outrage at first because all these things are wrong. And then suddenly he's taken aback when he sees basically a stone replica of his dog that he had um, when he, before he was frozen. Mm -hmm. And this is also the first time you're introduced to the fact that he had a dog before he was frozen. Um, So it's kind of great that as, as he gets, after he gets his dog back, um, Farnsworth basically says like we have a way to clone him and we can bring him we can basically bring an exact copy of your dog back so Fry is over the moon he's going to get his best friend back which of Mm -hmm. course makes Bender bending Rodriguez sad because he thought he was Fry's best friend and that's a whole nother fun layer of this episode of dealing with friends having different friends but I I, not not the point here um 
So as you go through the episode, you just get more and more flashbacks of um, Fry meeting the dog. Um, Fry, and he was a stray, and then Fry, like, basically um, taking the stray from this, like, you know, skin and bones dog to something a little more healthy looking. Uh, very, very fluffy, still kind of raggedy, but mm-hmm. that fits New York for the time period we're going for, so it's fine. Um, and then uh, Fry gets frozen. He just feels bad because his buddy's gone. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, you're basically left with this suspense whether or not um, they're going to be able to resurrect the dog. And when they finally do, um, just before Farnsworth is about to clone it, you see how old the dog was when it died. Yep. And then Fry stops and he's like, you know what? I miss my dog, but he clearly went on to have a happy life without me. And I don't think I should take that away from him. So he decides not to clone um, clone the dog. But and then... <laughs> this is when you see the rest of the dog's life. And this oh. is where it just punches you in the stomach. Because you find out the dog had been rushing to find Fry, finds Fry. His parents are idiots and don't realize he's there. And yep. the dog basically spends um, the like next 12 years. Yeah, it's yeah like because like, Fry figures it out. He's like, well, he was like three years old when I when I was done with him. So the dog spends the next 23 years literally sitting and waiting for Fry outside the pizza shop. And that's all he does until he dies. And you don't see you obviously you don't see the dog die. It's just implied because you see the pizza shop like degrade through the years until eventually it closes up and it's not in business anymore. So the dog is just sitting there and it goes back to that skin and bones look that it had before Fry had taken it in. And, and then the episode ends as the dog closes its eyes. It's like, Oh, Oh, (laughs) Oh, it was so hard to watch. And it still is still is very, very hard to watch. If you're, even if you're not a dog owner, if you've never owned a dog in your life, but you just know like how happy dogs are to be around yeah. people and yeah. you see that happen. Oh, oh, it's hard. Yeah, if you're a pet owner or if you've ever even just had a sandwich, you've really, really enjoyed and to have to lose that. Mm-hmm. I mean, good God. I'm trying to obviously be a sarcastic on purpose because God, that episode. Is oh, so you have hard. to do something to bring it back up. But uh, on, <sighs> on, a, on a note, I think that is the episode where this is, uh, I mentioned before, one of the few times a property actually uses the term quantum properly. Mm-hmm. So there is that. <laughs> but again, again, that, that's smart humor um, that a lot of shows just don't always have right away um, or have at all. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the worst one for me. Um, how about you? Well, Joe, it's, it's one of the worst, but I, I've got a fact here that makes it even, even worse. Oh, Okay. So I don't know if I can handle it, but continue. <laughs> well, one of the Futurama writers whose name was uh, Eric Kaplan. So he he wrote from, for the series from the beginning in 1999 until 2009. Mm-hmm. So in a in the behind the scenes featurette, or actually I think it may have been an interview. Either way, um, he actually mentioned that the original conception of this episode was not even meant to be Seymour the dog that gets cloned. It was actually going to be Fry's mother who they find oh. fossilized. Oh, that would have been way worse. <laughs> oh, that would have been hard. Yes. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so it's it's still the same idea. Mm-hmm. Does he does he want to you revisit this very emotional relationship from the past? And how would he, you know, how would he deal with it? And so 
man. If they would have gone with the original idea for that, I, I don't think I could probably watch it more than once. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Because, um, I mean, I think that might bring us, like, the next part is um, almost anything that involves, like, Fry or Lila's, like, parents. Oh. Oh. God. Like, I mean, watch it. But be ready. <laughs> well, hey, let's let's just rip that band-aid off and risk infection then, because mm-hmm. that takes me to the episode Game of Tones. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if you remember this episode, but it's it's it's, it's one a later always... one. This is this is the Comedy Central era Futurama, which didn't to the series like I don't know, to the series discredit, I guess, wasn't the best part of Futurama, but it did get a few, a few here and there, like this one. Well, this one was was interesting because um, I think from a storytelling standpoint, it's one mm-hmm. of the the more interesting ones because everyone in the universe can hear these these massive tones, these massive sounds that are traveling through space, and the tones themselves are actually destructive. Like they're they're destroying things, like like moons and things out in space. Like the the spaceship that's emitting the sound is literally wrecking stuff, and we're not going to obviously give everything away here because we probably should have done a spoiler alert um, just in case people haven't watched these yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but long story short, the night that Philip Dre Fry fell into the cryogenic freeze, there was a reason why the tone was familiar to him and mm-hmm. not anybody else on the rest of the show at that point, because this this tone actually was coming from the key fob of one of the nibblers, the you know the little uh, adorable aliens that are mm-hmm. you know omnipotent. They, they're they they're poop godlike, like, ridiculously like dense matter. <laughs> they yeah. can use as a great fuel source. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, like the, the nibblers are are literally like the gods of space time here. You know, like they're they're messing with the timelines and and uh, traveling back and forth to change events, and so. Um, not to get too far into that aspect of it, but that's why Fry knows the tone because the tone matches the sound the key fob nibbler presses to find his, you know, his adorable little spaceship. Mm-hmm. So it emits that sound when he clicks it. And the night that Fry went missing, they forgot where they parked their car. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the nibblers are coming back, pressing mm-hmm. the button, you know, trying to find the car again. And you know, in, in the process, they're accidentally destroying all kinds of stuff. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So by accessing Fry's dreams, they're actually able to help him get clarity as to where he heard the sound. Mm-hmm. And, and it turns out he heard it in the lab where the cryogenic freeze was happening. And in his dreams, he was able to, you know, see certain things that he remembered, but not other things that he otherwise wouldn't have, you know, saved in his subconscious. So the memory of the nibbler ship was in there because he, he saw it, but he didn't realize no. what it was. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So where's the gut punch, Mark? What the fuck are you talking about? It's get, we're getting there. Like, again, these come <laughs> usually at the end of the episode. So you can get it at the end of the story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so after you go through this, this kind of time bending, you know, actually pretty, uh, pretty in-depth episode that, that builds on stuff that was foreshadowing. Right. Cause mm-hmm. This, this whole Nibbler um, interaction with Fry goes back a lot further than this. So anyway, the Nibblers are like, you know, hey, you helped us find the, our ship. We're very thankful and we're going to pay you back for it. So what do they do? They put Fry in his mother's dreams. Ooh. 
and because they they've got her dreams consciousness, mm-hmm. and so Fry gets placed into this dream, and he clearly knows it's a dream, right? Because mm-hmm. his mother's deceased. There's no way that that you know he can actually gain anything meaningful from this dream, right? Yeah. Except for the fact that the Rose Bowl from the year that he went missing, he didn't actually know the outcome of because he disappeared mm-hmm. before it happened, right? Yeah, so, before it ended, he he'd been gone frozen. So his mother, though, she did see the Rose Bowl. And that's when it finally dawns on Fry, as well as us as viewers, that there's something interesting about this, right? So mm-hmm. Fry, Fry could actually interact with his mom, or at least her consciousness in her dreams, because the Nibblers had had that consciousness that they could plant him in. So, so you realize mm-hmm. at the end of this that obviously Fry is extremely happy, you know, us as viewers are getting goosebumps, but then his mother smirks in the dream, which means that he's actually interacting with his mom in some capacity, you know? So it's, it's, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) it is easily the hardest thing for me to envision because Mm -hmm. I I'm, I'm the youngest of three, as we mentioned on an earlier episode, um, you know, I, 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 everybody loves their mom, right? But my mom taught me how to cook. You know, she kept me a respectable person <laughs> for <laughs> for a very long time. So these these mom episodes, whenever he has to interact with his family, especially the mom, good God, I, I have to have tissues nearby mm-hmm. because it, it, this this one especially just rocked me to my core the first time I saw it. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, to, to help bring the back up, uh, for those who are listening from our home state, fun to know if you didn't realize it or haven't seen this in a while, but his mom is a hardcore Wisconsinite. <laughs> so she was very happy that the Badger had won that Rose Bowl and was wearing a cheesehead hat um, during and, the game. No, not my mom, but Bender's mom or uh, uh, Fry's, Fry's mom. mom. Fry's yeah. mom. Yeah, mm-hmm. Fry's mom. She. She, uh, yeah, <laughs> Bender's mom is literally just called mom of the, of the mom corporation. Yes. And <laughs> she has tried to kill Bender at least on uh, probably two or three, um, um, occasions was the word I was looking for, but for some reason couldn't find. Yeah. Uh, has tried to kill him a few times <laughs> or, or make Bender kill other people. Which but actually that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's a good point you bring up because another good gut punch Mm-hmm. It happens a little bit later in the series. Um, it's it's the episode titled "Lethal Inspection." Oh yes. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's kind of funny that you bring up mom trying to kill Bender. Um, <laughs> it, Behold that segue yeah. job I just did. <laughs> it's like I planned it. Yeah, it's almost like we <laughs> we prepped each other on this episode with an outline of where we wanted to go with it. Yeah, Lethal Inspection, man. Um, so mm-hmm. Lethal, Ins- this was actually one of those episodes that I I saw out of order, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I I think I ended up seeing, oh good lord, I can't remember which one it was now. Because I was just watching it on on Cartoon Network um, slash Adult Swim, and they were just playing random episodes of Futurama. Well, either way, Lethal Inspection comes on, and long story short, we find out that Bender has actually been a defective robot his entire life. Yeah, and. Mm-hmm. Which is and, also yeah. where the uh, Zoidberg ink attack um, comes into play. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, and and the reason for that because uh, Bender actually has an oil leak, and mm-hmm. 
you know, he's spilling profusely all over the Planet Express, you know, buildings. So they have to go and figure out, well, why is Bender defective? And it turns into this, you know, kind of a globetrotting, uh, you know, journey. Mm-hmm. And pretty much nobody wants to go along on this. Uh, so Hermes, you know, Hermes Conrad, our favorite Jamaican uh he ends limbo up limbo champion yes. too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> limbo champion, and whose wife will stop at nothing to find a more suitable husband uh in any event if he's like <laughs> hurt or mm-hmm. you know in low standing. She just <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, so Hermes ends up getting volunteered to go along with Bender. Mm-hmm. And and so fortunately, because of the bureaucracy that Hermes is a part of, there's good documentation on every aspect of, you know, the companies that are building these robots. Mm-hmm. Um, they know exactly which inspector was working with Bender because he has the actual card that says yep. inspector number five. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so on this little journey that they go on, every time they go and look for documentation, it just it's there. isn't there. Yeah, yeah. It's gone. It's missing mysteriously. Someone tried to cover their tracks. Yeah. Yeah. This person just, you know, just doesn't exist. And along the way, because Bender tries to commit suicide and calls calls mom and asks mm-hmm. why why she let him live, well, she mm-hmm. she never meant to. She never knew. <laughs> Mother does not like defective robots coming from her factory. No, no, mm-hmm. absolutely not. So to to Joe's point about trying to murder, you know, Bender, she sends the <laughs> <laughs> the most inept like Assaultron, you know, robots ever. And they're <laughs> because... so great. Anytime they hear any mention of anything that relates to like a gun or firing, like they immediately turn on each other and start shooting. Oh, every every time. <laughs> <laughs> like I think like at one point, um, like one robot says, How is her? And then another one immediately says, Did you say Howard, sir? And you start shooting. Yes. <laughs> I, I think it's it's at least two or three times in that mm-hmm. episode where that joke plays out. And so it, it's really funny because, you know, as the episode goes on, you start to realize that Hermes knows a bit more than he's letting on. Mm-hmm. And by the time we get to the end of the episode, it turns out that Hermes was inspector number five. And I can't remember the name of the song uh, that plays at the end of it. Oh, I've yeah. I've seen I've seen it on the mm-hmm. on the subtitles before because I'm I'm old and I have to read subtitles. <laughs> I think it's called Little Bird, Little mm-hmm. Bird. It's Little Bird, Little Bird, Fly Away, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you see this little baby bender, you know, coming through the assembly line, and you Just see a, a young a Hermes of booze to keep him sustained. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And and Hermes sees him, and something just kind of changes in him. You know, like he, mm-hmm. he's been doing this, this job for a long time and you can see it. Like he's, he's been there for several years, but mm-hmm. he sees, he sees baby Bender, something snaps and he overrides the system to let Bender survive. Yeah. If you will, one day he just woke up and he got tired of killing him. <laughs> yeah. Just, <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. Nowadays he's all about restoration. What? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, which for those of you who haven't listened to episode five about Gun in 60 Seconds, that's a that's a great Robert Duvall line mm-hmm. from that movie. Um, but either way, so Hermes Hermes is is inspector number five, and because of him allowing Bender to survive, his conscience changes and he gets out of the robot inspection business 
And then it inspires him to go into the bureaucracy instead. And so I think in this one, it's, it's obviously a different style of gut punch because it's a combination of music and then giving a shitload of character development for someone who has almost been a throwaway joke his entire time on the series. Mm-hmm. And you give him this massive amount of backstory in about 25 seconds. Yeah. So it's not just adorable baby bender that you see. It's the fact that Hermes has had a heart this entire time mm-hmm. and nobody knew about it. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yep. The show, the show just does that. Like they're, they'll do it with either like introducing someone new or a character you've known for very long and just flesh out their backstory a little bit more. Um, another one that really gets me is uh, the episode called Lila's Homeworld. Mm-hmm. Because for a few seasons, uh, everyone, the viewers and the people in the show, including Leela herself, are led to believe that she's this one-eyed alien. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what you're going for a while. And then they visit the orphanage where she was dropped off. And then I think she stumbles around some paperwork that reveals that she wasn't an alien at all. She's actually um, a mutant. And mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with the show, um, one of the fun ongoing jokes that's always there is that uh, when you go, but when you, when you saw Fry, like go into the cryogenic chamber, um, you see New York, it like leveled and destroyed like multiple times. They just, instead of, instead of like starting something new, they just built over top of it. So <laughs> yeah. there's old New York that is literally underneath new New York, um, <laughs> where, um, where everyone lives, but in old New York, it's basically just sewer mutants everywhere. And they're always like disfigured, overly hideous, um, things. And like a, it's kind of a comment on like where society likes to keep things that aren't pleasant looking. We just kind of push them beneath us mm-hmm. uh, sort of thing. And you meet Leela's parents for the first time. And basically they're for the whole episode, they're trying to keep Leela from figuring out where she comes from. Like they're basically these hooded figures that get in her way every time she gets closer to figuring out like who her parents are. And then it gets to like a, a climax, the climax of the episode, and she knocks them down and then their hoods fall off. And you see that they look very similar to Leela, except for the fact that like, um, I think either mom or dad has like tentacle arms um, uh, and they've just got these other like other um, attributes about them that like show they're way more mutated than Leela. Mm-hmm. And um, they're totally okay with like, Leela about to like kill them for like getting in her way the whole time and I think it's Fry who somehow finds out first that like these are her parents and um it's either Fry or another character stops her and says hey these are your parents don't do that um and then the whole thing comes finally exactly what's going on and you end up like flashing back to like Leela's like infant infancy and the uh the parents see that this child only has like one very subtle mutation. That's the, she has one eye, but otherwise is kind of human and very normal looking. Mm-hmm. And they decide that like life underneath new New York or in living in old New York just isn't good enough for their daughter. So they choose to give her up to an orphanage. So she should, so she could grow up in a better world because ultimately that's what every parent or every good parent wants for their child. Um, and they've been just kind of watching the shadows the whole time. Um, but 
yeah, the fact that like, yeah, just knowing that they, they gave up their, their daughter, their one daughter, because they wanted it for, they wanted her to have a better life. I think the hardest part for me about this episode too, is that you find out that mutants can only visit above ground at certain times, or if they have like a pass mm-hmm. from the government to do so. Yep. So when you find out that Leela's parents are only able to come up at very specific times and when mm-hmm. they do, they're trying to make sure she's okay. Yep. It just makes you feel that much shittier. It does because <laughs> you, you see that like they literally did not abandon Leela. Um, You'll see like they're like scenes where like she's about to like she's a baby and she's about to like crawl like down a set of stairs and she would fall and tumble to her tiny doom. But then mm-hmm. a tentacle like comes out of a, out of a, of a like an air grate or an air vent and then turns her around. Mm-hmm. And they do this throughout her growing up. And yeah. there are lots of her milestones of her growing up where her parents actually are somewhere watching. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're totally there. You know that they loved her the whole time. Mm-hmm. And once again, uh, man. I feel like I'm taking years off my life by reliving all these oh, yeah. in one episode. <laughs> because like, could you imagine like having kids and basically watching them succeed in life and you for, you know, better reasons or whatever reason, you can't interact with them. And you can't share any of that joy with them as they succeed and grow. And you're just stuck watching them from the shadows. Like, of course, like you're happy to see their child successful, but I mean, you are basically a secret part of their life. And that has to be tough. Joe, it just makes me feel so human. <laughs> oh. oh, oh man. Which, yeah, good old Captain Kirk, who's also <laughs> um, parodied in this show with Zap Brannigan, which I think he may need to be like the entire side stitch is like Zap Brannigan's best moments. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. And, and that short, that's so short outfit that he's always wearing <laughs> comically short oh yes it's um, not it's not long at all <laughs> well you know hopefully to bring um the tone back up just a little bit mm-hmm. so you know when futurama got canceled uh, i was one of the fans that felt very displaced mm-hmm. you know because i've been watching the whole original run from 99 to 2003 and so you know comedy central wouldn't get it until 2008 and when Futurama did come back, if you remember, they started doing these um, like made for like straight to DVD types of movies. And the movies uh, themselves would essentially take up somewhere in the area of like four or five episodes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would play it out as a, as a single uh, movie. And one of the first ones was uh, Bender's big score. If you remember, you know, that, that first movie in the series. And, what I thought was really cool about Bender's big score um, was the idea of this time paradox. And, you know, we've talked about paradoxes with certain doctors who may or may not be monsters. And in this episode specifically, (laughs) um, (laughs) so Fry ends up having a tattoo of Bender on his right butt cheek, Mm -hmm. you know, smoking a cigar. And classic Bender. (laughs) (laughs) But when the tattoo is read by Bender, it opens up a literal portal that -hmm. allows people to time travel. Um, And so when, you know, people go through uh, these portals, the ability for paradoxes is there to happen. And the, the logic that they give to it is kind of similar to what we talked about for why 
you know, Marty McFly or Marty B should be dead is that the paradox can't survive in the university, you know, shouldn't be a part of. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so either way throughout this, this fairly long, you know, movie slash four or five episodes, um, we get to introduce to this idea because, you know, Hermes, if you remember, uh, ends up losing his head. <laughs> and so, um, they end up getting a second body for him through one of these paradoxes and the body dies because it's not supposed to be there. Um, and the same thing ends up happening to a version of Fry because Fry ends up uh, going back in time and because of this, you know, Bender ass tattoo. And so the, the Fry that goes back in time is obviously extremely lonely because he, you know, he's obviously in love with Leela. He misses her a ton. Yeah. And we don't find out about the paradox or what it represents until very late, once again, very late in this, this series. Um, because uh, fairly early on in the episode, the, the first part of the movie, you meet a guy named Lars. And right away, I knew Lars was voiced by Billy West because Billy West made Fry's voice sound like him because he wanted no one else to be able to do Fry easily as a voice actor. Smart move. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So, so whenever you hear of a, a voice actor who does their like normal voice as the voice of the character, mm-hmm. very deliberate choice. Um, but either way, so Lars is this character that you meet early on and he looks a lot like Fry the more you look at him, right? Mm-hmm. And as we go through the series, we find out that you know Lars is a version of Fry that traveled and then Bender in because uh, he gets a virus downloaded from some of these uh, bad guys that are a part of this that are trying to control the universe. Mm-hmm. And so Bender goes you know, back in time to try to kill Fry to close the paradox. Right. Yeah. But in doing so, he ends up just burning Fry's hair off and <laughs> <laughs> and and he inhales a ton of smoke. So he sounds Oops. like sounds totally different. Uh than he would have as normal fry. Um, so, you know, at this point, this is where Fry or Lars finds out who he really is. And he goes, wait a second, I'm Lars. I've been Lars this whole time. Mm-hmm. And I know that the ass tattoo can make me travel, you know, through, through time. I'm going to go back and fall in love with Leela all over again. And as we slowly find out about this paradox, it becomes clear to, you know, the, uh, the Fry slash Lars character that mm-hmm. he has to die and he, and he falls in love with Leela all over again. They go through this romance mm-hmm. and, and they're literally about to be married and he calls it off because the, uh, Hermes paradoxal body dies at this ceremony. And so mm-hmm. he says, he says, I can't go through with it. And, uh, yeah, at the end of the episode, as they're burying the paradoxal Fry, in his eulogy, he tells them about all of the things he did and these, these gut-wrenching experiences he had when he went back into the past. And once again, I'm not going to go through all of this because mm-hmm. I, you know, I won't be able to watch it. But, but yeah, at the end of it all, you're just like, wow, they literally had like two and a half hours worth of like romantic entanglement here. And that's how it ends. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> <Ow>. mm-hmm. <laughs> and the worst part is, the fry of that time is like, he's, he's totally jealous of Lars. He hates Lars. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, I love Leela. It's like, she should be with me. 
And by the end of the, the episode, he finally says, you know what, Lars, Leela, you guys belong together. I'm going to stop getting in the way. So Fry shows a ton of, of like personal growth throughout this mm-hmm. episode, only to find that out at the end. <laughs> and you're just like, like why, why Futurama? <laughs> why have you done this? <laughs> he, you guys were gone for five years, and this is the first thing you come back with. <laughs> <laughs> why are you doing this to us? Ooh. Oh, God. So, yeah, I, that one, um, like when I stopped watching Futurama after it went off mm-hmm. the air, I didn't actually catch this immediately when it first came out. And so, of course, is all good things happen. It's right after a breakup, right? So I went through a breakup and watched this episode for the first time. Mm-hmm. Horrible idea. Just horrible idea. You know, it, it was it was just such a hard episode to get through. So if you guys went through a breakup recently or, oh, I don't know, watched any of these other episodes of Futurama, do not watch this one first. <laughs> <laughs> this will not help you get better. <laughs> yes, you will not feel any better after this. Oh my God. So mm-hmm. yeah. And, and there's more examples of this too. Like the, these aren't the only examples that happen throughout this series that are just totally emotional gut punches. Mm-hmm. Um, these are just, I mean, I don't know if you've got any more of them, but those were the ones that just pulled, like totally just caught me off guard. Well, since we're talking about like Fry and Leela um, and their relationship, it's one that, um, that's another like it's an ongoing build throughout the series is like they're they're on again they're off again they kind of build and hint towards that they're inevitably going to end up together and there's one episode where they are married um and what's happening is the globetrotters come to town and do their their magic on the court and then they realize time is destabilized and things just kind of keep skipping forward um Mm. but their goal is to fix the time skip so they can get back to where they were before the time skip started um, and at one point after a time skip, uh, it's ba- it's Fry and Lila's wedding and Lila just finishes saying I do and they're married and Fry has no idea what he did to actually make Lila fall that in love with him that she agreed to marry him. <laughs> so he's trying to figure out as, as time keeps skipping, uh, what he did. And at one point, uh, what's also, I think comically sad is that like very quickly, um, as time skips, they're getting divorced um, and they're dividing up their property. And uh, I think she gets the AFC dinner plates uh, from the NFL and he gets the <laughs> NFC. Yes, that's true. Yep. <laughs> but Fry is heartbroken because he's like, OK, I don't know what I did in the first place to even get you to marry me. But I swear I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to I'm going to do that again to make you fall in love with me again. And. What ends up happening is the plan to fix the time skips is another great like idea rooted in science is they're just going to put a bunch of mass together within like a localized area to affect the flow of time. Um, Because as you get closer to denser object, time just works differently. So -hmm. they think because there's some sort of destabilization, they're going to allocate a bunch of mass together and boom, it should solve the problem. And they do that by basically having tractor beams come off their ships uh, they just start rearranging stars and they're just putting a bunch of stars in one spot in hopes that this, this change uh, in, in time will then flatten out. And then time is skipping, of course, as they're doing it. And then right at the very end, Fry looks up and sees what happened. And he actually 
rearrange the stars to light out i love you leela um oh yeah so just this whole thing like he moved the stars themselves to let her know that he he loved her um and then that fixes um the time issue and then things go back to before that and they don't i don't think they need to do that anymore um somehow the spelling gets messed up so like it's not still there after it's all done <laughs> yeah. uh so you see fry like flat out determined to figure out what he did and then he figures it out and he can't do it anymore yeah yeah dude that's that their their whole relationship like you mentioned because mm-hmm. of the the fact that it's kind of a slow burn throughout the series when you do see these elements of like romantic themes between them it it just it stops you in your tracks mm-hmm. and and it's because of that intermittent basis and when you see it it's it's like that will they won't they you know tv effect right yeah and Futurama never really gives into this, you know, full tilt until like the very end mm-hmm. of the series. Like the very end of the series involves um, some closure for their romance. Yeah. And so, um, you know, maybe we could make that a whole separate topic one day. Oh, it could um, be. I mean, you have, yeah. I mean, you have the initial like end of the series with the show canceled. Um, yeah. And left everyone hanging where, um, Leela kind of like keeps waking up dream after dream after dream, trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and she thinks Fry's dead the whole time. Yes. And then you figure out that um, what killed Fry, uh, what she thought killed Fry didn't actually kill him. Uh, it like, basically they're, they're going to this massive outer space, like beehive uh, to collect oh, honey. Yep. And the bees are incredibly venomous where like you get stung and you're dead. And if you, if you're allergic, it's even worse. You don't want to hear about it because what happens is your blood literally boils and <laughs> bursts everything. Even though you didn't want to hear about it, you just did. Um, poor Hermes. But anyway, <laughs> um, it turns out Fry did get stung. Uh, he gets skewered, but he doesn't die. Um, yeah. So uh, and then Leela takes all the venom. And while Leela is basically experiencing this like wake up uh, thing over and over again, where she keeps waking up dream after dream after dream, but she's not actually waking up. Um, you keep hearing Fry say, I need you to do one thing for me. I need you to wake up like over and over and over again. And it turns out that for, I think it was like two weeks or something. Um, mm-hmm. Fry never left her side in the hospital and was basically yep. talking to her the whole time. Yep. Um, and then at the end of the episode, you hear him say like, uh, it's like, I have no idea if any of that made a difference. Um, but it was basically all I could do um, to try and make you feel better. And she's like, it did. It did make a difference. And then they hug and then you go to the credits and then she tells him he should shower because he obviously hasn't done that in the past two weeks. <laughs> and it gives you a tiny bit of levity at the end of it all. Yeah. Yeah. That, that episode was, um, I, I remember actually reading into this a bit, this is a while ago, but mm-hmm. they created this episode because they really wanted to do a story where they thought like a major character had died. Um, and it ended up being a, an episode that got produced fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is it was made faster than the the nine month turnaround that we've talked about, um, just because of the the content of it. They wanted to get it out quicker, and <laughs> mm-hmm. and because of that, like this episode became like one of the most heartfelt you know episodes in the entire series. And it was one of uh, Matt Groening's favorite episodes from all of Futurama because of because of the the emotional weight of it, and uh, and the fans love it. I mean, it was it was a highly 
um, you know, well-received episode. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I didn't know if we would get to the sting or not. The official name of that episode is the sting. <sighs> and I was, I was hopeful we could, we could walk off of this one without another, <laughs> <laughs> another, another really bad one. Nope. We had to, you just had to punch in the stomach just one, one last time. <laughs> God damn it. But mm-hmm. it's, but, the, but this is what we wanted to do folks. Like if you haven't watched Futurama before, and if you saw it, that it, it had creators from the Simpsons and writers from the Simpsons, and maybe that was the reason why you didn't dive into it, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe it looked stupid to you or, you know, maybe it just looked a little strange. Like, like episodes like these just kind of skim the surface as to yeah. the, qual- yeah, the quality and the, and, and just the content that's there. So that's why Joe and I decided to potentially risk crying over this <laughs> <laughs> and, and hopefully introduce this to a new audience, just like we've mm-hmm. done with, with all these other properties that we've gone through in the last, you know, six episodes. Mm-hmm. It, we, we're basically trying to help usher, you know, people over to these things again and, uh, and give them a shot if you haven't. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Um, if you haven't watched Futurama, even though it, it, you may think like, Oh, they gave away the endings of some of the best episodes. Um, Trust me, if you watch them, it won't mean any difference. <laughs> watching, watching these characters, especially if you watch it, like you try watching it like in, in order the best you can, and you actually build a relationship with the characters through the show, uh, it won't matter that we gave the endings away. <laughs> You're, you'll know it's coming and it's still going to hurt. Um, so, you know, uh, it's on Hulu again. Uh, Hulu, not a sponsor of the Digital Day section, a nerd podcast. But it's there for you to watch if you ever want to get into Futurama. And I think Mark and I both highly recommend that. Joe, seriously. No more mentions of episodes with Fry's family. I just, my heart can't take it and I can't do it again. Mark, it's, it's okay. You're with friends in the trust tree, in the nest. I feel really safe. It's just too much. Seriously, y'all call your moms. Let them know that if you're cryogenically frozen tomorrow that you love them. Yeah, and I'd, I'd probably do that myself, but then I'd spend 40 minutes just trying to hang up off a Midwest goodbye. Um, so I'll just say love you, mom. Uh, and we, we hope you enjoyed this week's breakdown of Futurama, a show that I'm sure we're not entirely done with. But while it's still fresh, which episode pulled at your heartstrings? Tell us about it. And while you're telling us about it, why not tell your friends too? Like, comment, subscribe, and find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Twitter by searching for the Digital Dissection Podcast or at Digital Dissect One. This will all help us to keep this show afloat. We desperately try to keep this going, despite some serious commitment issues. Next week, we're going to pick apart the Justice League Snyder Cut, the four-hour behemoth that rose from the ashes like a $150 million phoenix, and trended on Twitter for two years. There's a lot to unbox, and quite a bit to be thankful for. And until next time, keep on dissecting. Dissecting.